0: And with that being said, let's go ahead and get started. Hey guys, in this episode, Stefan and co-host Ed Ray are joined by Gary Chappell, the former CEO of Nightingale Conan, one of the largest and most respected personal development publishing companies in the world. Now here's a glimpse of the transformative insights you're about to discover. The two key things that helped Gary go from handyman to CEO of Nightingale Conan, the four characteristics that make a good CEO, the person versus opportunity trap most entrepreneurs fall into. Gary considers this one, one of the biggest mistakes in his career. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy.
1: You know, there are, it just kind of triggers a couple key things that I did during my career that really helped that path. And um, number one was learning about time management. Now we didn't sell a time management product at the time. But I was realizing because I take on everything. It's like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. You know, I was I was always an I'll do it guy. And, uh, and, and that overwhelmed me. There were so many projects I was working on that I couldn't get a handle on. So um, years ago, there was this there was this Franklin planner that was out there. And, and it was based on um, Benjamin Franklin's um, w- the way that he organized his day. And it was it was very simple, but it, re- it really changed things for me. So learning how to prioritize my tasks was a really, really, it was a leap for me. The other thing was, Because I was, you know, because I would bring, you know, ideas across departments. I got to say that a lot of people didn't like me for that department heads, you know, that weren't solving the problem. If that, you know, if if problems continued in their department, I would step forward. And I had to make the decision. I, I had to make the conscious decision that I could, if I wanted to help the company, I couldn't allow myself to care what other people thought about me. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a huge, that was a huge step. And I, I think I took it overboard, you know, I went a little overboard on it, because, you know, I certainly wasn't a flawless uh, employee, I made a few mistakes. And I think it's just as important to talk about the mistakes. as yeah. you know, it, you know, because, you know, I'm, I certainly don't want to be bragging, I, I'm just sharing literally what happened. But some of my greatest lessons were learned from big mistakes that I made. And so, um, but but those two things were really big—not you know, not caring and, and, and learning time management. Those were huge for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, those are those are great. So, as you become CEO, let's talk about first and foremost. I, and I, I love the the mistake aspect, and I do want to talk about that because I think you're right. People resonate and learn more from mistakes than they do from successes. Often, right? You can model success, but there's a lot of value to seeing. Someone say, "Hey, here's what I did wrong. Here's what I learned. Maybe you can avoid yeah. you know, this mistake yeah. and, and hope that they do." Um, what are the characteristics that you feel makes a you know a good chief executive? Um, and I'm curious about that first and foremost. What are maybe the top characteristics?
1: Sure, sure. Well, I mentioned one earlier, and that was be a problem solver. Right. You know, I, I think that that's really, really important. Um, I think that you have to respect the numbers, you, you, you know, it's all about it's really every business is about the numbers, the numbers tell you what to do. Um, wh- one of the really cool things I did when I be- became CEO is, is I modified our financial statements, we had many divisions in our company, this doesn't apply to most people because they don't have all these channels of income split up. Um, But there's certainly some companies out there that do you know, we had a distributor division, a radio division, a TV division, a direct mail division, an internet division. And we had this G&A, you know, the 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 administrative costs kind of allocated. And we didn't read we weren't reading um, the true performance. So I made sure that that everybody time stamped their activities and were very honest and we set it up in a way where it wasn't too time consuming, but we made sure that that we allocated properly GNA so that uh general and administrative, you know, things like attorney fees and uh, you know, and and all the things that are kind of company wide, um, they still need to be allocated fairly to every single division. And so we just like I had done with the marketing reports, I made sure that our financial statements split out every little line item big pain in the 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 accounting people didn't like me but, but uh, you know, it gave us the numbers that told us what to do. And so that allowed us to forecast that allowed us to read every channel um, very cleanly understand, you know, because there were certain there was a period where we thought mail order, for example, was losing money. Um, because it was one of the oldest divisions. So it over time, it was the it was the repository for all undefined expenses. But once we broke it down, we realized, oh, man, mail orders actually making a ton of money. It's these other divisions, these newer divisions that aren't, aren't properly carrying their weight. So, um, so, you know, being, being, being analytical, paying attention to the numbers is also an extremely important part of being a CEO. Um, Uh, understanding how to put the butts in the right seat. I think that's also really important. I I have to say my biggest claim to fame was um, was I took Nightingale when I was CEO. when I became CEO, we were doing about 46 million in sales. And in three years, I had I had um, turned that into not I had the team had turned that into 97 million. And it's because I had this vision to I had this vision to get into radio. Now, many years ago, we were in radio through syndication, Earl Nightingale had the largest syndicated radio program in the world called our changing world. And um, yeah, but, but um, syndication kind of changed. And yet I knew that um, our market, they were cassette players. I mean, they, they, they listened to the content on cassette or CD and they listened in their car, we knew when people were learning the information, that's the great thing I love about self development and um, and audio is that you can learn while you're on the move, you can sit in your car, you can commute. I mean, it's a it's just the best way in the world, in my opinion, to learn anything is to if you can listen. So anyway, um, you know, I just saw this opportunity, look, if we just started running radio ads during commuter time for some of our products, you know, that would have to work, right. So I ended up hiring a guy that I respected. Um, Mike was his name, he real smart guy, Um, I hired him, put him in charge of the radio department. And it was that department and that vision that, that, you know, more than doubled our sales. So um and while that was my claim to fame really and truly i i think the things i've learned since i left nightingale you know i i feel like i'm contributing more now maybe even um you know to individuals at a, at a different level than i was at nightingale conant but the things i've learned are really really fun and inspiring and so anyway that's where we are now
0: no that's that's great um and uh yeah i agree that was funny i mean my sister I remember she was I guess out of college and her first job, but she had like some Brian Tracy, like um, honestly, they might have been cassettes still, maybe they were CDs. But I remember listening to like Brian Tracy stuff about selling and ABC and like um, the one like the Speak to Win, you know, um, and, and all that kind of stuff. And just um, I think that stuff is just so powerful because even if you don't recognize it at the time, it's like you you subconsciously you pick up on these things that can last with you forever, and um, and it's, it's so powerful. Um, Okay, cool. So, as your CEO, what are some of the mistakes that you've made along the way? Then, you know, it can be as you know, chief executive officer. It can be you know, prior to that. I'm, I'm maybe it's a couple of the big mistakes you've made throughout your sort of professional journey. And you know, what were they? And then you know, what did you learn? What was the lesson learned from those mistakes?
1: Yeah. Well, well, thanks for asking that because I feel like you know the rubber meets the road when you talk about what you do wrong. many times, so as I advanced through the company, I admit my ego got inflated. And um, that that's one of the things that happens. And it's one of the things I'll talk about a little bit later, you know, how big of a role the ego plays in everybody's life and how sabotaging it can be. So anyway, um, at one point, I was kind of the gatekeeper for all JVs. Um, uh, anybody that wanted to approach Galcona, uh, you know, they had to go through me. And we tried a whole bunch of them. And like, none of them worked. And so that kind of tainted my view of them. And after a while I was becoming skeptical of anybody that approached it, you know, so I would kind of judge people, they'd show up and, you know, they would have this pitch and, you know, and I, and I, um, I, I, turned, I turned down a few of them. And there was a couple of them that on. that the guy took him to another company, and they became mega blockbusters for him. they were huge. And, and so I realized I learned from that, that boy, you just judgment is, I'll talk about this later, judgment is the thing that we have to learn to get a handle on. Because judgment does not serve us in any way, it is a tool of the ego, it works against us, um, you know, you, I learned from that experience that look, you get just do your due diligence, dig into the opportunity, you know, if they've done some market research, ask, ask them about it, don't, you know, don't judge anybody just explore the option and don't judge the person to determine whether the opportunity is going to be uh, beneficial or not, you know, Mm-hmm. look at the opportunity itself independent of the picture. Because so many people, people love to be informed, but they hate to be sold. And so you know, I think I was getting caught up in that, you know, I'm being sold. So, uh, you know, and I'm the guy that can squash this thing. So by God, I'm going to do it. So it, so I learned that, you know, that was really my, uh, the beginning of my journey of getting a handle on judgment and, and something that again, I'll talk about a little bit later. Cool.
0: So, I have a question on that, a follow up there, because it makes perfect sense, right? Um, to to look at the opportunity and to isolate that from the person. You know, someone could have awful presentation skills, and yet they've got you know an amazing idea and drive yeah. determination, and so it definitely makes sense. How do you balance that though versus gut instinct and a gut check on people? Because you know, there's there's often I talked about this. I had I did a bonus episode this week with my friend uh, Craig Clemens, who's a really successful. Direct response uh, marketer and an entrepreneur, and we talked about how usually when you there's JVs where you, you you there's something feels off, right? And then you sort of go forward despite your um, your spidey senses tingling, and that often you, you end up regretting that. Um, so how do you, how do you navigate between wanting to look at the opportunity as something like isolated, but also not um, ignoring your gut or your intuition with certain people? Or did you generally feel like you know what like my gut i can't trust it you know uh, with business deals i'm curious how you navigated that dynamic
1: well that's a really fair question because obviously there's intuition and there's gut you know there's gut feelings like i like with radio for me you know you know the, it, it, but i think there's also a distinction between you know you just got to learn to understand when you're do, being judgmental and when you're being smart and uh, uh, let me let me go back to a story that that I think will make a, that that illustrates this point really well. So at there, one point at night, you early on in my career, um, I'd been there for maybe mm, five or five, six years. And my best friend who uh, at, who worked at night, Galcona became my boss. And he w- he turned he was a great guy but uh but the most asshole of a boss you would ever meet now he was never he was never an asshole to me but he was just like vicious to other people other departments and he literally robbed the fun for me it was no fun being at the company anymore and i left um i moved back to sarasota i've been trying to have uh uh Uh, a baby with my wife for about four years. And so we decided to move back to to Sarasota. And I started a um, um, a business, not a handyman, but a um, home construction business. And so um, I did a loss leader, I did a mailing to a bunch of people and uh, on the envelope. It said, "Stop the struggle." And it was a person trying to was struggling. It was an old lady struggling to open a sliding glass door. Now, in Florida, there's sliding glass doors everywhere, and so I would get these. You know, I'd get these, uh, and I promised that I, I guaranteed I could fix your door for 1995. So I got a phone call from a guy one time, and he said. And he said, uh, so you can fix my door for $19.95. And I said, Yes, sir, I can. He said, And you can guarantee that I said, Yes, sir. Yes, sir, I can. And he said, Well, bend over. (laughs) And, and so, you know, most people would have freaked out at that. But I was very confident, you know, because hey, I, uh, you know, I didn't know when I first moved over there, um, back there, I didn't know that much about sliding glass doors, but I learned, you know, I took, you know, it took two days to learn how they worked and where to get the supplies. And, and so I said, No, I'll, I'll come out and I'll fix your door. So I show up with my helper. And, um, you know, fully expecting to see a real jerk, you know, real asshole. And of course, my my ego is, you know, I'm going to show this guy that, uh, you know, he's wrong. And, you know, turned out to be these 10 foot doors that were really wide. But sure enough, you know, in a half hour, I had them up and running. And that guy turned, or that guy turned out to be my best lead. He was my best customer. He turned me on to his parents who became good friends, we'd go visit them, you know, on our way between Chicago and back. Um, You know, so, you know, sometimes gut feelings, you know, my gut was okay, this guy's a real jerk. Uh, but I don't know, maybe my gut was, you know, you know, I, 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 yeah, I could, I could work this through. But I think the point is, is that, had I judged that person, you know, I would have lost out on a lot of business. So ultimately, my wife got pregnant. She said, I want to go home to my parents. She's from Chicago. She moved back. She said, Gary, I'm moving back, please come with me. I went back and Nightingale asked me to consult and I started working with Jay Abraham. That's how I got back into Nightingale. and. You know, so it all kind of unfolded from there. But I think to answer your question, you know, that's a tough one. I I think you just have to really think, uh, you know, like I said earlier, you've got to do your due diligence when a JV shows up. You've got to really look at the opportunity more than the person.
0: No, that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, I right, one more question and then we're going to move to I do want to move to the mentoring, coaching, what you're doing now and things like that. The question because you mentioned Jay Abraham, who um, like I don't know super well, but I've been on some like like, uh, like podcast panel things with him, and and obviously think he's he's brilliant. My wife, one of the first books she gave me was um, the Getting Everything You Can Out of All You've Got, or uh, got the right of that. But um, you know, but he's been kind of notoriously hard to to work with. Not in that he's a jerk or anything like that, but he's just like a you know cop like a copywriter, marketer, consultant, and he's um you know like a lot of the the brilliant minds of sort of can be right like Dan Kennedy can you have to he'll fax you stuff and that's it so my question is just when you're working with talent like Jay or, or whoever it may be it doesn't have to be Jay specifically where they're they're brilliant they're they're just bringing so much value to the world, but they're um, perhaps you know not traditional like uh, hyper responsive um, you know but they may have unique communication styles you know how, how did you manage that how do you how do you handle working with kind of talent where perhaps they're uh not the easiest people to to kind of uh to, to wrestle in sometimes uh,
1: well it's funny you would mention jay after because because the reason i was brought back to nightingale is because jay had pitched to my to to the the coo um at the time um you know this idea of developing a, a new division for nightingale conant and nobody could manage Jay. And so he reached out to me shortly after I moved back to Chicago and asked if I would, you know, if I would be a project manager and, and, and manage the relationship with Jay. I love Jay, I've been to his house many times, uh, and he's all the things you said he was, but he's a dear soul. He's just got one of these brains that's like a, that, that's like an engine that, that's just like constantly firing and sometimes misfires, but, he, he's, he's really brilliant. He really is. And, uh, you know, I think the real key is focus on the finish what you're what you have to do with these people is look, what we're going to do is we're going to create a product. And with and that was what we were doing with Jay, he wanted to create this very high end product. Nightingale didn't sell anything over I, I think $120 at the time and Jay want Jay brought this idea forward of look, you guys are underselling everything you know, you need a, you know, let's create a program. And, you know, we'll sell it for $3,000. And, you know, let me show you how it's done. And so, uh, so, you know, that's what I did, I just focused on, okay, we're going to create this high end product where we're gonna have to market it in a different way. Jay was really interesting, because he um, he had me record every conversation that he never wrote copy, he would just get you on the phone, and he had to record it. And then I would have to have all those transcribed. And we would, and but from that process, we pulled out the content of the product, the marketing for the product, Um, you know, and my entire focus was always on Okay, how do I how do I turn this into a great product? So it was never about the communication. It was all about just recording, asking questions, always being respectful. Um, and by then, by the time I'd come back to Nightingale, you know, I'd l- learned a little humility, and um, and and so I just simply focused on the finish. What was the product? You know, what what was the outcome we were shooting for? That's what we got to get to.
0: Very cool. Um, really cool. All right. That's just about it for today. Before we finish, though, let me share a little bit more about how you can stay in touch with me. I have a private email list where I share high-level tricks, strategies, and insights about copywriting, entrepreneurship, mindset, and more. In fact, often my podcasts are based on topics I first emailed out to my list weeks or even months earlier. So if you want to get brand new stuff from me every single day, go to stephanpaulgeorgi.com forward slash subscribe. These emails are often upwards of a 1,000 words, and I send them every day, so make sure you really can commit to engaging with me on that level. But as long as you can, and you should because I do drop a ton of value in these emails, go apply to join my list today. And again, the web address is stephanpaulgeorgia.com forward slash subscribe. And in case you don't know how to spell my name, which is okay, it is S-T-E-F-A-N, Paul And then my last name is georgi, G-E-O-R-G-I.com. So stephanpaulgeorgi.com forward slash subscribe. And I will see you in my email list.